0: Excuse me.
1: Good morning. Yes, thank you Jesus. I love that song. It's a powerful song. And I love that it um reflects so much of what we're going to be talking about today. We started uh, last week, and, and we'll continue studying in the book of John, the Gospel John. So if you'll turn with me to page 1220. Page 1220 in the Church's Bible, the Gospel John. And last week we began... Uh, with some pretty powerful understandings. If you remember, we read on, uh, starting in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we looked at this understanding of the word logos, and where it does mean the Word and the written Word, that is true, it really has a far greater understanding than just the written word. Sometimes when we read this, we believe that this was talking about that Jesus was the word, the Old Testament that was written all about him, that is true, that is so true. But it's far beyond that word. We talked about this last week, and if you weren't able to be here, I hope you'll get that message and listen to it, as it expressed far more understanding than just the written word or the speech, but rather it's the expression of all that God is. His ideas, his thoughts, and the plan. And if you remember we began to understand that that Jesus was the plan. And so when you read it with that understanding you you begin to see in the beginning was the plan. Jesus. And the plan was with God. And the plan was God. So that understanding is foundational as we come and read through and understand what John was saying to us throughout this gospel. So today we're going to continue on to see how he helps us to understand who Jesus is. The whole book, in fact, I want to show you something. It's right at the end. Let me see if I can locate that. Maybe... um, Yes, it's on page 1250. If you want to hold, put your marker, we'll come back to the first of John. But look at the end of John on page 1250. It's John 20, chapter, chapter 20, verse 31, 30. We'll start with verse 30. I just think this helps us to understand the heart of John as he writes this gospel. Verse 30 says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. So John's whole purpose in writing this gospel And everything that he's going to tell us in this gospel is for one purpose and one purpose alone, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that was to come, the one the prophets wrote about, the son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. We talked about this place. Let's go back to chapter 1. And John, as we begin to read further, it says in verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. So again, John is beginning the chapter I'm sorry, the book of John with understanding of this place of life, and he's encouraging us to come and to believe in him that we might have life at the end. This word for life, we looked at this last week, this particular word for life that it says in him was life has a great understanding because it's so true. In him, we were created, and you have Physical life. He was just talking about that, that all things were made through Jesus. And that through him, that nothing was made that was made without him. Everything was made through him. Then he comes and he says, and it's true with you. In him was your life. But this word is far more than just physical life. It's also eternal life it's also spiritual life so he's saying but you in him you can have more than just physical life but also spiritual life eternal life then it goes on in verse four and it says and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it we're going to talk about this darkness a little bit more today, but I want you to understand this word comprehend doesn't mean quite like we think about it, not understanding, but actually a better way to look at this is it did not overcome the darkness. So it would be better to read this and say, and the Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. I so considered bringing a uh, Bic lighter today and turning out all of the lights in here, and it would be extremely dark because there's no windows, there's no lights going on. And then you flick on the lighter, and the light overcomes the darkness, but the Darkness cannot overcome the light. So God is helping us to understand this spiritual understanding in a physical way. There we go on verse 6. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So John is writing the gospel about John the Baptist. So there's two Johns going on here. We don't want to get them confused. But John is writing about John the Baptist, and today that is going to be our focus. It says, This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I've said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So John the Baptist is come. And I want to look at a few other scriptures that will help us to understand a little bit more about John and who he was and this testimony, this witness that he was bringing of Jesus. I want to skip down to um, verse 19. It says, now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So today, if we had a title to give this message, I would entitle it, Prepare the Way of the Lord. So as they came and sought out John and said, who are you? He said, are you the Christ? He said, no, 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 I'm not the Christ. Are you Elijah? He said, no. Are you the prophet? He said, no. And this prophet that they're talking about was when Moses said, there's going to be a prophet, one like me, that will come after me. Him, him you shall listen to that's what he's talking about here not just any prophet but the prophet the anointed one that is coming so I want to look at a couple of other scriptures that will help us to understand more fully what John's purpose was in this place so if you'll turn with me to um, let's look at Luke first in in on page 1177 Luke 1 This understanding of who John was and his purpose is what we're looking at, at today. So, starting in verse five, it says, "There was—I'm sorry—there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth." So John's parents, as we see right here, are both from the priesthood. So he would be in alignment for the priesthood. Verse 6 says, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now, it doesn't mean they were perfect, but it means that they understood god's purpose in his commandments and his will for them to walk in it and so they did their best to walk in this place and god saw them in this place as righteous walking as what they knew to be following god's will in faith just kind of like abraham walked in god's ways by faith god saw him as righteous Verse seven says, But they had no child. I'm sorry, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So it's it's his turn, Zacharias' turn to come and to burn incense in the temple. So he goes into the temple. Verse 11 says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. I just want to say right here, I hear people sometimes talk about angels and how... Um, Beautiful they are, and how uh, they seem to have these uh, almost fairy tale look to them as people sometimes explain angels. The Bible never explains angels in that term. And I, I, I so see this right here that people in the Bible, when they saw angels, they recognized it was something to be reverent of not in necessarily a terrified place but in a place of great reverence that they would fall to the ground just from the very place of the majesty of these angels in their presence because the angels have been in the presence of the Lord and they bring an authority far beyond what we can understand I see that's the place with Zechariah. He sees this angel. He recognizes it's, it's a place sent by God, an angel, and he falls to the ground. And then it says in verse 13, it says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So I see in this place that Elizabeth and Zacharias had been wanting a child for many years. I love that, his, that Zachariah was praying for his wife and asking for this place. And the angel come and says, your prayer has been heard. Now, it's been many years, but the prayer has been heard. And he says, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will receive at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the angel come and says he's going to bring great joy and great uh, gladness. And then it says something very interesting here in verse 15 it says for he will be great in the sight of the lord that he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and that he will be filled with the spirit in his mother's womb so the fact that he will not drink any strong drink or any wine he would take the nazarite vow that was what the priesthood knew to be the case, is that he would be taking the Nazarite vow, which is, if you read, maybe one day we'll have time to do a lesson on this. If you read a little bit about that, it was a place of choice by men or women that would come and dedicate themselves fully to the Lord. So it is a strong place that they would be raising up their son to take on This deep walk with the Lord. The responsibility was to the parents. That's who the angel is talking to. So I love this place as we see as parents having this responsibility to raise their children up to the call that God has for their lives. It's a huge place. The other thing it says is that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit in the mother's womb. This is not quite like we think of being filled with the Holy Spirit when Jesus becomes Lord of our life. This is actually a reference that he would be a prophet. And the prophet would be speaking out of the spirit that has was on him even from the time in his mother's womb. And uh, so I want you to, Make special note of the next two verses. These are going to have a powerful place today, I believe. In verse 16, it says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17 says, And he will also go before him in, spirit, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So he's saying he will, John the Baptist, will go before Jesus... In the spirit and the power of Elijah. And then he, the writer John tells us here what that would be for, what that purpose was that John is actually going before Jesus. What is his purpose? He's going to tell us right here. It's to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There are many great things that we know about John the Baptist. And if you continue to read this week in Luke right here, you'll see that Elizabeth, John, does come out. Uh, He, as you remember, he's stricken because he doesn't believe the angel. And so he is now made where he cannot talk until the baby is born so he comes out and uh, people can see that he's been with God he's been with the presence of the Lord in this place but he can't talk because he didn't believe in what the angel was doing and the faith that he needed to walk out was uh, diminished when the angel first told him But then he tells Elizabeth, sure enough, she uh, conceives and she's going to have a baby, just as the angel said. Uh, Her cousin, Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, it goes on to tell us that she also is visited by Gabriel, the angel who has visited Zacharias, and says, you're going to have a baby, and his name will be Jesus. Mary is so excited. She goes to see her cousin, Elizabeth, and I love this place right here. It says the baby leapt in her womb. So he jumped around. I don't know what that must have looked like or felt like, but Elizabeth knew. She knew immediately what was going on and that John the Baptist recognized, even in her womb, the presence of the Messiah So this is a powerful place. You can see that exactly as the angel said, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was working even in the womb to where John the Baptist was aware of the presence of the Most High. I don't know how family reunions must have been. (laughs) I, <laughs> you know I don't know if it doesn't tell us if Mary and Elizabeth ever got together again and if we don't know we don't really know but what we know is that later on as John is grown up about 30 years old Jesus is now about 30 years old and he comes to Be into a place where John is baptizing people. We'll read a little more of that in a minute. And there he says, Behold the Lamb of God. So he recognized him in the womb, and he recognized him here. How it was in between, I'm not really sure. We have to go with what the the Word tells us. So I want to turn now to Matthew. Let's see what uh, Matthew tells us about John the Baptist. So turn to page 1113. Matthew 3, we're going to start in verse 1, page 1113, chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight." I want to talk about this just for a second because as we read on, I want you to recognize something that most scholars would tell you that there should be a comma, a pause, and it should read, the voice of one crying, and then comma, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. I believe that what it is telling us is that this place Of the wilderness. John was in physically. But I believe as we study on today. That we're going to see. That what Isaiah was talking about. Is the wilderness. Of this world. That John was in the wilderness. So he's crying out. In the wilderness. Of the world that surrounded him. And he's preparing the way of the Lord. Verse 4 says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Okay, so John is out in the wilderness, and he's a little bit um, eccentric would be our term. So I looked up about this camel's hair, I thought, now, what does that mean exactly? And what it means is that his mantle was of camel's hair, his cloak, what he wore around him. We would say a coat. In that day, they called it a mantle. If you really do some research, this goes back to Elijah. Now, you remember, we read just a minute ago that he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Well, he also came in the mantle as far as a physical cloak of Elijah. So Elijah wore a mantle that was made of this hairy-type fabric. And it does say that every prophet from Elijah forward wore a mantle of that was made of some animal hair. Normally, it was camels. So what is happening here is John, without even probably fully understanding, God is cloaking him as the prophet that would bring forth this understanding and his word. Uh, Just for your information, Elijah also wore a leather belt. John uh, was eating locusts and wild honey. Now, I, I, I'm not sure about a lot of this, but one of the things I did do some research on, uh, not locusts, except they did. I did read a little bit. It said they're best fried. And so if you want to take this up, you know, fried is the, the best way. But this wild honey is probably not honey as we think of honey. It's probably a tree syrup. More like we might think of how maple syrup is made or something like this, because bees were actually unclean. So it is believed to be this was more tree syrup. That was his that was his diet. Then verse 5 says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Well, this is really an unusual place because it says all of Jerusalem and Judea and all of the region were going out to be baptized by John. Well, the Jewish people were in this, this is who was in this area was the Jewish people, not particularly Gentiles, but the Jewish people. In Jerusalem and Judea. And they're the ones going out to be baptized. That is highly unusual. Highly unusual for the Jewish people to be baptized. Normally baptism was for the Gentiles. That were wanting to become a Jew. And to be seen as Jewish. And to worship Yahweh. They were baptized from being Gentiles into believing in Yahweh it was a cleansing process it was a place that they had to leave the life that they were living and to be washed in the new understandings that they were being taught about Jehovah But in this place, we see that they're coming out and being baptized. So let's read a little further. In verse 7, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Broods of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance." And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So here they are coming out. They're Pharisees, they're Sadducees, and they're coming out to be baptized because. John's out here baptizing but he's baptizing in a place of repentance and he calls these people he says you are broods of vipers he says let me who warned you that you needed to come out here and to be baptized he's really a little angry with them because they're not walking in what they know to be truth they're not walking according to God's laws and God's ways And he says to them, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And he says, listen, don't come up here telling me you're going to be okay with God because you're the children of Abraham. He said, God can raise up children out of these stones. He said, that doesn't hold water. He said, live a life worthy, worthy of repentance verse 10 says and even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire so he's saying listen you don't bear good fruit i don't care that you're on this this tree where abraham is this is the root of the or the base of this tree he said i don't care about that because this is going to be cut down this branch is coming off just because you are jewish doesn't save you then verse 10 i'm sorry verse 11 says i indeed baptize you with water unto repentance he's saying you need to be repenting you need to be turning from your ways But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So one thing I want us to understand is I want us to turn back to Malachi. Hmm, Let's go to Isaiah. No, let's go to Malachi. Malachi is on page 1104. So I want you to understand what's going on because Malachi is right before is the book right before Matthew but there's four hundred years between Malachi and Matthew. So to understand where John's coming from, you have to understand a little bit about Malachi. So Malachi was a prophet and he was sent to Israel because they were in so much darkness. The temple has been restored. They should be coming and worshiping. They should be honoring God's commandments. They should be walking in his ways, but they're not. And so Malachi comes and really lays out a strong word for them and says, you are not where you're supposed to be. He, he says, you are in marriages that are not according to God's ways. You are getting divorces. He's very angry over the divorces. He says there are uh, corrupt practices that you are uh, participating in. You are involved in sorcery. You are involved in adultery. You are involved in false religion. And he says you're even arrogant and prideful, thinking that just because you are part of Abraham's seed, that you are are having a uh, free place to not have to uh, uh, align with God's laws and and Malachi comes and he's absolutely absolutely frustrated with these people because God has sent him there to bring this very strong word and say you have to come back to God and God's ways I want to show you a couple of places to look at look at uh, Chapter 3 on page 1106, because Malachi comes in this strong way, and he's saying how wretched these people are because they are out of alignment with God's truth. And and chapter 3, verse 1, he writes this. He writes, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. He's saying saying there is going to be a messenger coming, and he will prepare. You see that? He will prepare the way before me, God is saying. He's saying, I'm going to send a messenger, and he's going to prepare the way. This is John the Baptist. So Malachi is writing that there's going to be a messenger before the Lord should come, the the messenger of the covenant, Jesus, before Jesus. This is the first coming, okay? So what I want you to hear is this is what was going on. 400 years after Malachi, God is still silent because the people are not in alignment with God's truths and God's ways. No one's talking to God. No prophets are being sent. It is God is quiet. Then, Matthew, Mark writes about it. Luke writes about it. John writes about it. It's powerful. It's powerful. All of a sudden, God speaks. And he comes to Zacharias and he says, You're going to have a son. And he's going to prepare the way. He's going to prepare the way. So this is why John is baptizing the people that are Jews, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, is because they're far from God's laws and God's truths. He's saying, you broods of vipers, who has sent you out here that you might be saved from this wrath? He said, you have to repent. Don't just come to be baptized. Don't just come to be looking religiously right. He says you have to repent. My baptism is a baptism of repentance that prepares the way for the Lord. I want to put a marker here. Y'all have a marker there too. (laughs) And um, so I want to turn to Isaiah. Um, It's on page 828. Isaiah forty, page eight twenty eight. Isaiah wrote this and spoke these words hundreds of years before Malachi. So It was prophesied here by Isaiah hundreds of years before Malachi, hundreds and hundreds of years before John the Baptist. Look at verse 3. But much of the same thing is going on. Isaiah's speaking to a people who've wandered from God's ways and God's truths. And verse 3 says, And the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth." The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What Isaiah is writing about here, I believe, is about the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. I think it's both places. It says here, to make, prepare this way of the Lord, and it says to make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So what, what he's alluding to is when kings would come into the city, they would send out, before the king would come, they would send out a group of people to prepare the road. They would move every rock so that they didn't have to step on a pebble. They would sweep out the road so that they had a clear path, so that there was no trash on the road, so there was nothing that would not be perfectly right for the king to come and walk on. I believe that's what Isaiah is looking to, is to this place, to where everything, he says, every valley shall be exalted. Everything that's low shall be raised up. Things that have not been lifted high at the king's arrival will be lifted high. They'll be exalted. Every mountain and hill will brought, be brought low. Everything that thinks it's high and mighty will be brought low when the king comes. The crooked places, they'll be made straight. And the rough places, the difficult places, will be made smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken turn with me back to Malachi on page 1107 Malachi continues to write and if you Read this week in Malachi. It's a very short four chapters. It would be a great place to read. Chapter 4 says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stalled, fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the hearts of the children to the fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. All right, I want you to put a marker here. We're going to come back to this shortly. I want to show you Luke. Um, no, not Luke, I'm sorry, Uh, Matthew 17, it's on page 1132. So let's start in verse 10, Matthew 17, verse 10, page 1132. Jesus is, um, it says, and his disciples ask him, saying, he's taught, Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and the disciples ask him, saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? You remember, it was prophesied that John the Baptist would walk in the spirit of Elijah. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. I'm sorry, has come already and did not, they did not know him but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So I want you to catch something really important here. First of all, Jesus said, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. Things have not been restored yet. He's not talking about the first coming of Jesus in verse 11. He's talking about a later time when Jesus returns. But in verse 12, he is talking about that John the Baptist will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. verse 11 is what we're interested in today. Because we see that the spirit of Elijah was to always bring people back to God's ways and God's truths. John the Baptist came in the wilderness when the world was darkest, when people were far from God's ways and truths. To restore people, to bring them to repentance to bring them to repentance, not to just say they're sorry, but to be the fruit of the tree where they would pour out God's ways to all that are around them, that they would live and walk in God's truths, that they would bear fruit worthy of repentance. John the Baptist But indeed, Elijah is coming and will restore all things, Jesus said. Turn back to Malachi 4, page 1107. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4. Malachi writes, and I believe he writes to us today. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The great and dreadful day of the Lord is Feast of Trumpets when Jesus comes back. It will be a great day for those walking in His statutes and His judgments and His truth. It will be a dreadful day for those who are not. So Malachi is writing and he is saying that there will be a prophet... That God will send a prophet, Elijah, again before the great day of the Lord. Before Jesus' second coming, he's coming back. The spirit of Elijah is returning. And it says, and the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. What he is talking about here is that the spirit of Elijah, just as it did in John the Baptist, and just as it did when Elijah was on this earth, is it was always to turn the children back to God's ways and his truths, to our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who walked in God's truths and in his statutes and in his purpose. The spirit of Elijah was here when John the Baptist was here proclaiming and preparing a way for Jesus to come that the people would turn back to God's truths so that Jesus could be received several years ago as I studied this very place the Lord told me so clearly he said the spirit of Elijah has been released it's here It's already here, but it's here because he's coming. It's here because the second coming is coming soon. I don't know how soon, but sometime soon. The spirit of Elijah, I believe, is running out through God's pockets of people to restore his truths, his judgments, his laws, his ways, his plan. His purpose. I believe the spirit of Elijah is supposed to work through the church, through God's people. I believe it is definitely already there. And its purpose is for God's church to walk in the place that John the Baptist walked If you read much more about John the Baptist, you see that he didn't live for a long time, but he was very truthful. He went to King Herod and he said, You're living in a a place that's wrong and sinful. And he's calling him to repentance, but King Herod had him killed, as you remember. He went to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he says, You're broods of vipers. You're out of alignment with God's ways and truths. Repent. Because the king is coming. I believe this message is a call to God's people that have ears to hear and eyes to see. That just as the Pharisees felt they were in good place because they were religiously attached they thought and John said no you're not I think the message to the church today is don't be deceived in thinking that just because you're in a church somewhere just because you're saying you're a Christian just because if your lives do not reflect good fruit God's ways His judgments his statutes, his laws, his purpose for our lives, then we are gravely wrong. But I think this message is here today for those who desire to walk in God's truths, that their hearts long to be in his purpose. I believe this message is today to say, in the spirit and the power of Elijah, prepare the way for the Lord. One of the things that I wrote down that I saw so clearly as I studied this week is that John the Baptist came in perfect timing. 400 years God had been silent. And then he sent John the Baptist to prepare the way. God's perfect timing is today. You have been placed here at this time, in this place, for this reason. For such a time as this. It is your responsibility. It is my responsibility to grab hold of what is before us, to no longer be silent, but to be willing to talk to those that are around us, those God's places in our path, that we might remove the rubbish or smooth out the stones or make the crooked places straight through his laws and his word and his ways that we might prepare the way for the king stand with me please
2: this we were born for a true revival Take, let the stars fall, let the mountains tremble, we are not afraid. Let the people, let the
0: faithful stand and say, bring them away. So
3: This world has to offer the here and gone that leaves you wanting more, but can't satisfy. See when I've done nothing to deserve it. You see the best in me beneath the dust, cause that's how you love, if yeah, that's how you love, you rush through.